Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K. Wimmer. I'm Maria Rose. You are listening to a podcast about the 80s. So if you are new to the show, welcome. If you are not, Mm -hmm. welcome. You get the same greeting either way. Yeah, we like it. Very, like, much inclusive of all. Pretty standard. Yeah. Uh, Mm. How are you doing? I'm pretty, pretty great. Yeah. You know, quarantine life. We've got a routine going. We're, we're good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this movie because, spoiler alert, I liked it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, speaking of spoiler alert, we don't do this very often, but because this is like a mystery slasher, oh. um, we're totally going to give away who the killer is, even though if you've watched even a trailer, you should know who it is. But if you're one of those people who gets really angry when you listen to podcasts that clearly talk about everything, and then you're like, why did they talk about everything? Who Um, would do that? First of all, (laughs) okay, actually, never mind. maybe new listeners, but turn it off and watch the movie if that's the case. Otherwise, um, I don't feel bad for you if you couldn't figure out who the killer was. You've had more than 30 years. (laughs) No, you did. What if they're like 13 years old? Nope. Time travel. Okay. (laughs) It's a thing at some point. All right. Maybe it's in the future. All right. Well, anyway, before we get into this film, what thrift store finds do you got? Oh, I have have some good ones. Oh, wow. You're already like beaming over there. Well, first was I found a rhinoceros head and I thought I need to poke it at this rhinoceros head because I... I made our daughter's bathroom all polka dots. Yes, you sure did. And then I put a polka dotted rhinoceros head. But that's not what I'm actually excited about. Oh, I, in that same bathroom, hung a painting of just a free-floating foot. So that, and then the thing that I'm actually excited about was I got a label maker. And... Oh, yes, the label How could I have forgotten? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I'm actually not a type A person. Uh, This might be news to you. I'm a little slapdash. I was, I'm excited at the prospect of organizing with a label maker, but mostly I'm just secretly putting the word poop and labeling it around the house, waiting for people to find it. Okay. I just, I I mean, I think I want to take this out, like into the world and start labeling stuff. Your labeling's gotten out of control. I picked up my phone and on the back of my phone, there was a little label that said, babe. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I'm doing with this label maker. What about you? What did you find? I actually had a pretty good week. Um, I found locally a few Scorpions cassette tapes that I didn't have. So that was cool. But then I took a little trip out of town because I am just clearly not finding any VHS tapes in town. And I didn't find a lot, but I did find two in particular that were really killer. One of them was ones that I've actually been after for a long time, which is the original Embassy release of Blade Runner. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very nice and it's in a good shape too. So I found that for 25 cents. And then the other, which was a real pleasant surprise. And I didn't even see the first time. I actually had already done my pass and I was going to leave and then saw a sign that said um, four VHS for a dollar. And I had seven in my hand and I was like, oh, well, I guess I should probably find something else. And then sitting right there in front of me was the child's educational tape from 1995, Stranger Dangers, Uh. with the alien mascot Corny, who basically warns kids to not get kidnapped or molested. It is... (laughs) Heed his advice. Really something amazing. Uh, Uh, Have you watched it? 
Not yet. And I, I already have a friend who desperately wants a copy too. So I might make a, a fun bootleg of it to give to a couple nice. people. I'm very excited to watch it. So that was an awesome find. Very good week for thrifting. Okay. So this week, we are talking about a film that I thought you had seen, but turns out you had not. No. Also, okay, what? So I remember many years ago, when you worked at Hastings, which was like a video rental store, I said, let's rent Cutting Class. And you're like, no, we just watched it. And ever since then, you're like, we've seen it already. We've seen it a lot. And I've never seen it. And I've always known it. But you, it's been a point of contention, you know, as far as we go. You're like, no, no, we've seen it. You've definitely seen it. And I was like, I know I haven't seen Cutting Class. Ah, it's interesting. Because I, okay, I have. I just assumed that you had. You must have seen it like right when we started dating or something. I'm getting it confused with a film that I know you've seen that is the same kind of era... And it must have some kind of similar cast Mm. with a famous person. But in it, and I, maybe our listeners can help me out because I just can't place it. I remember there being a van in this film, but Mm. it was also like a school slasher. And somebody drove a van around. And I was like, oh, I think that's cutting class. And then Uh. last night when I watched it, even though I knew the movie, I was like, where's the van? And then it wasn't in there. And I thought, I bet you that's the film that I've gotten confused all these years that I thought you watched. Well, I don't know okay. what it was, though. I so. don't know. Anyway. All right. So it's a first time watch for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I've had this tape for a little bit. I've actually had a couple copies, but um, this was your choice. Yeah. You once again passed on uh, Warlock. Yeah. So every week or most weeks, you'll bring <laughs> out a stack of ones that you want to consider. And I'll just choose from it whatever I'm in the mood for, which is super great. But you have lately been putting Warlock, Warlock, it started at the bottom, and now it's just right there. <laughs> I just put it right top on of the top. Stack. I said, here you go this week. And then just looking at you with some Julian Sons. Yep, and I just set it to the side and scooted through the pile until I found Cut in Class. Well, you know what? Uh, good job. I'm very glad you chose this because this is a fun movie, and I'm excited <laughs> to talk about it. This was shot in 1987, However, it didn't come out until July 17th, 1989. So it's kind of an interesting one. A little hung up there. It went straight to video. Do you know why it was hung up? I just, it's a low budget film. Didn't have a lot of, you know, I I probably just finding a, uh, you know, distributor and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. It was directed by Rospo Pallenberg, who this was his only directing credit. Mm. But he does have quite a career. It's very short, but it's pretty strong. Okay. When I was looking up his credits, I found something bizarre, which was he has one more directing credit, but it's uncredited as the director of The Exorcist Part 2. What? And I was like, wait, what? Because John Borman directed that. And then I looked into his credits some more, and it said he was also uncredited as the writer of Exorcist 2. Weird. And I was like, wait, what is the story here? So yeah. I looked into it, and what ended up happening is that uh, Rospo Pallenberg was actually like the creative partner and associate of John Borman. So they worked together a lot. And he basically kind of shadow wrote a lot of stuff. Oh, okay. So even though he didn't technically get an official credit, he really did have a heavy hand. And in the case of Exorcist 2, this took a little bit of digging, was he did the final rewrite. So the, the story oh. that we actually know was his story. So he just polished somebody yeah, else's Yeah, he polished work. it up. And he was he did that quite a bit where he would do treatments of things. Like his big one was Deliverance. He 
he kind of did the final treatment for that. But then he was also the main screenplay writer of Excalibur, which was a big one, and then the Emerald Forest. So, I mean, he has some real credits to his name, but this was the only real directing credit that he ever had. So that's who directed this one. And I thought that was just kind of an interesting little way to start Mm -hmm. it. Because I was like, wait, how do you get an uncredited role as being the director of a major like franchise so he had connections he did have connections which will come up later as we're talking about him but uh yeah that was interesting so that's who we're dealing with as far as the director and then the writer is the only other person i wanted to say up front his name was steve slavkin and he had a lot of writing credits too but one in particular that i thought you would be excited about because this was much more your childhood than it was mine Mm -hmm. he is the creator of the nickelodeon show Salute your shorts. Oh, I love salute your shorts. I know you did. I never watched it because I didn't have cable, but you talk about it a lot. Well, I'm a Nickelodeon kid. You are. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that's um, that's writer-director of Cutting Class. Pretty interesting stuff. Very nice. And this is also a big breakout performance for none other than the Brad Pitt. Ooh, Dreamy McDreamboat. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Because I'm curious. He had been in a few things, but this was really his major like breakout role. And this is like a couple years before Thelma and Louise, and he really like then yeah. became the hunk. Uh, yeah. He's not a great actor in this, but he definitely looks great in it. And so I'm thinking like, interesting to see. What Did you dig up any dirt on him? Not really. I mean, everybody can go look up Brad Pitt's Wikipedia page because mm-hmm. he's he's so famous and his story is so well known. But he did start out, he was born in Oklahoma and traveled with his parents, moved around and went to college and just shy of graduating, he actually moved out to California and started just picking up bit parts. I mean, he's a handsome dude. He's mm-hmm. got the charisma or whatever. So he kind of easily fell into bit parts. <laughs> I could see that. I mm-hmm. do know a little, a one little fun fact about him okay. in this role. And that is that this is um, the, the director really wanted him, mm-hmm. but the producer did not. I believe that's correct. Either that or it's the other way or around. But I'm almost so. positive it was the director wanted him. And to try and convince the producer that he was good for the role, yeah. he found four women who thought he was a total stud to testify, basically, like, you should to put his this hotness. guy. Yeah, you need to put this guy in the film because he is so dreamy. And that was enough. And uh, he got the part because of it. Yeah, I mean, he fills, fits the bills for sure. Uh, he's He started out, he got, like, bit parts and some TV shows and, like, 21 Jump Street, but just bit bit parts here and there and this was really his first role that made it to theaters so i don't think this was in theaters i think this was directed it was it did release in theaters really yeah this was his first one that made it to theaters i don't think it made it to many but it it did have a theatrical release interesting i wonder because there's two release dates there's an 89 release date and then there's a 92 release date i don't know i wonder if the 89 was a theatrical run and then it finally got picked up and released on home video in 92 I don't know. I never knew that. I always thought it was direct to video. Yeah, I also, I tried to watch an interview with him around this time. It was actually for a separate role. But oh my goodness. Can you imagine watching an interview with yourself at age 26? Where, Is that how old he was? Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know how old for sure he was for this role, but it, this was the age he was in this interview. And it was 
tedious, tedious to watch. But I did see that he was even then like leaning towards being more creative and stuff like that, something mm-hmm. that he's kind of become known for. So I, I see the person that he wanted to be and that we kind of all think he is now or he he's convinced us all that he is. But it was real hard to watch <laughs> a 26-year-old. Uh, I mean, I, I know and love many a 26-year-old, but... Wow, that's maybe not a time that we should be recording <laughs> people about their <laughs> That's what I love dreams. about the younger generations is they're screwed. Like, I oh, think back gosh. to when I was younger, if I would have had, like, all of this oh, social media, I, I man, that would not have been good because I was an idiot at that age. Yes. Did you, were you a um, early fan of Brad Pitt when you were a young teen girl or preteen? Were you like, he is so dreamy? No, I or was, was he not your thing? I was never into the like heartthrob types. You were more into like the Crispin Glover types, weren't you? I'm going to bring up Crispin Glover later. Really? Yes. <laughs> absolutely. I can call it. I just know. Yeah. I'm a Crispin Glover type for it's sure. It's because you saw him dancing and whatever it was, <laughs> Friday 4. <laughs> No, I mean, just being hot isn't very interesting, so. Well, it got him the part, so that's how we got him in this role. Yeah, and then obviously later, Thelma and Louise, way to go, Brad. So this was Brad's first, like, major, like, lead role that he had to carry a film. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty big leap for him, I I would say. And the film actually starts with a paper boy tossing papers out of his, like, the little front load thing basket. Uh Uh-huh. And one thing that's interesting about this is he, the paper boy actually just kind of went back and forth in front of some of the houses. <laughs> so if you pay close attention, you'll see the same house again and again. You, you haven't seen um, you haven't seen the paper boy, have you? The movie? I don't think so. I watched it not too long, a couple weeks ago, and it was hilarious. Is Sorry, it? it's off subject, but for anybody out there who's looking for deep cut random slashers, uh, the Paperboy stars this like prepubescent psychopath, and it's <laughs> really, really funny. Awesome. Okay, anyway. So this is the Paperboy throws the paper in front of a like pretty richy suburban California looking house, and out comes a babe. Oh yeah, it's, she's definitely wearing the a... alarms go off. Babe yeah. alert. Yeah, she's she's a cutie pie. She is really cute. She's got like black hair. Uh, bangs and she's only wearing a t-shirt and she comes out kind of like self-conscious but not really to grab the paper and on the front of the paper it's that a mental patient's been released like a a parent killer it's important I guess so who are we looking at who's our our cutie McGee that we're looking at so her name is Paula her character's name is Paula but her real name is Jill Shoden so her career started pretty early on in 1981, with a TV pilot called Best of Times, mm-hmm. starring Crispin Glover. Oh, really? And Nicolas Cage, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's pretty cool. She dated Keanu Reeves. She starred with him in Babes in Toyland. Oh, interesting. Man, I haven't seen that in forever. I know. And uh, she also became engaged to Brad Pitt. Well, come on. I mean, that's like you walk by Brad Pitt and you're engaged. You didn't even know. 
you were engaged. <laughs> You're like, wait, I just looked at him. Right. And she's so cute and seems pretty cool. And she's also got a super kind of raspy voice. She does. She's a great voice. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, what's her name who plays Lois Lane in the 80s Superman movies that kind of smoker's voice. Did you look up any of her credits? Because she's definitely been in a few films. She's had Some a big ones. <laughs> she had a pretty big career for sure. And she also um, released a, a jazz album. What? In 2009. How did she not do that sooner? She's got the voice for jazz. She's like, she's like Phoebe singing Smelly Cat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She actually really didn't like the director of this film either and didn't want to take the role, but finally agreed to. Uh, and like her team was like, you you got to take this. So she finally did. But there were a lot of problems with the director. Oh, really? And the, the director kept making her specifically do line reads and stuff, which I guess is insulting to actors oh, okay. on set. So it wasn't great. Um, but you wanted to call out some of her other films? Well, what most listeners I would think would know her from is The Stepfather. That's the oh, big yeah. one. She, you know, was the lead in that. But she was also in some other ones. She was in Popcorn. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also has a, a part in Chiller, which I have never seen, but I just happened to find ah. not too long ago when I was thrifting. Uh, it's a Wes Craven film, or Wes Craven Presents, I think. I've never even seen it or heard of it, but I, I spotted it, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll grab this. Yeah. And then I noticed that she was in that, so I'll, cool. be, I'll be interested to see her pop up in that. Awesome. So she is at her house. And her dad comes out while she's in her t-shirt. He's not bothered by this because he is getting ready to go on a trip. And the, the big hunting trip. He's going on a hunting trip. And actually, uh, her dad is a pretty interesting guy. He's had a very large career. His name's Martin Mull. And you'll seriously go look up his imdb okay. he is in something for basically every generation but oh yeah there are those actors those are mm-hmm. that's what we call a working actor but you'll know him as colonel mustard from the clue movie what yeah oh i have been on the hunt for that stupid movie forever <laughs> i've never owned it ever on vhs not even like when we were in college and had vhs like i've never once owned that film huh and it's like a very common film. Somebody got it. Hook me I feel up. Like I'll trade you. Yeah, I feel like we've seen it a few times. Oh, I've seen it a bunch. I see it on DVD, but I just wanted to find the tape. So her dad, he's the district attorney. And he's going to go mallard hunting. And real quick, he's out mallard hunting, gets shot with an arrow. And I got a fun fact for you. Oh. Not the fun fact, but a smaller one. Okay. That bow that's used in that scene yeah. is the bow from Deliverance. Weird. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of random. <laughs> totally. Well, because um, our director helped write Deliverance. Yeah. I mean, it's just random. Though. I think it was uh, like intentional to be a little um, Easter egg, like something okay. fun. Yeah. So he gets hunted while he's hunting mallards and is left to lay in like a swampy marsh. And then we get to meet Brad Pitt's character. His name is Dwight, but guys, we're just going to call him Brad. There's no way I'm going to call him anything but Brad. Okay. So Brad's character right from the get-go, he sucks. <laughs> He's cruising to a, a Wall of Voodoo song who did several tracks on this soundtrack. Oh. Yeah, they're cool. They used to like hang out and play shows with you know people like Oingo Boingo and all that. They were just part of that new wave scene yeah. of the 80s, but there's a lot of cool tracks in this uh, soundtrack. Yeah, there are, absolutely. 
So he just sucks. He like almost hits a kid with his car as he's peeling through a neighborhood and then like laughs at his mom is like same time tomorrow. Yeah. And then <laughs> he gets to school dumb. and there's this kid, Brian, who's I mean, a weirdo. He's wearing a white button up shirt and a black like suit jacket and pants, but they're too big and bowling shoes. You know what about bowling shoes? Yes. I have a story about bowling shoes. Okay. When I was in high school, I used to bowl constantly. Like, I loved bowling. And my friends and I would go out onto the base because my dad was military. So we'd go to the base because it was really cheap. It was like 50 cents a game. And we would go bowling. And I loved the bowling shoes to the point of I wanted to then have a pair just to wear normally. Mm -hmm. And so one day I intentionally got a pair of like thrift shoes and then went to the bowling alley and swapped them out and put the bowling shoes into my own bag and left. And then for several months at school, I just had bowling shoes. But I didn't know this film existed, so whatever. Yeah, I had bowling shoes in high school, too. They were cool, man. I didn't I didn't steal them. I read a review that somebody said when they saw he was wearing bowling shoes that alluded to him being homeless. And I was Gosh. like, wait, what? <laughs> Is that a thing? <laughs> So Brian is this our weirdo. He he's there. He rides a real dumb bike. He's I mean, he is a weird guy. This whole film, the characters are so weird. Yeah. And there's this constant need for a red herring in this film. Yes. That doesn't work half the time. Like the first one is before we even meet Brian, it's Paula putting back the bow and arrow. Yeah. And it does this like little moment. Because the like, bow and arrow has a leaf in it. Like, was it her who shot her so mallard hunting dad? But when his dad, when her dad was shot, it's a man's voice. It's like, hey. Yeah. So why? You know we, it's not We her. would never suspect her. Like, it's a horrible red herring. Yeah. And Brian is actually, we learn he was in an institution. He's now out of this institution. So it leads you to believe he is the boy from the cover of the newspaper yes so okay he was an institution he he talks to brad and is like i forgive you yeah so then some kind of complicated past. yeah they knew each other before the incident and he makes it seem like maybe it was brad brad's character who had killed his parents and not him <laughs> right like he had taken the fall but let's pause here to talk about brian brian okay. is played by Probably the most interesting person in this movie. Really? We don't... I'm kind of enjoying this because we don't normally do, like, um, resumes. No. And Who this cares, is usually? kind of a fun one. It, well, it's so weird. There are so many, like, weird little connections and links here. And some actually really big names. Okay. In the, like, weirdo world that we love. So this is played... Brian is played by Donovan Leach. His dad is... The Donovan. What? As in mellow yellow, quite right. No way. Yeah. That's his freaking dad. That is total news to me. His mom is a model. He modeled. So he was... He didn't model with that hair that he's he's got, got in this weird film. hair in this film. <laughs> this film is worse than James Hurley's hair in Twin Peaks. This it's is... actually very similar. It's like slightly grown out. It's bad hair. Like electric socket hair. But not in a cool okay. punk way. No, not at all. This is just dumb person here. So he's son of Donovan and a model named Enid, who's an American. Cool. Does she not have a last name? 
It she does. I don't remember oh. it. Okay. Well, I there's a K in there, and it's something else. Some other letters too. <laughs> okay. Good one. But he also has a very famous sibling. What? Extremely famous. Who? Ione Sky. What? Yeah. Wait, is his mom's last name Sky? No. Okay, I was so, just kind of shooting that out there. Nope. So there is a K in Sky though. It's yeah, a mother letter. I know. So close. That's why I was putting the. I was picking up the bread breadcrumbs. And if you don't know who she is, she's from Say Anything and everything else from the eighties. Yes, she's a delight. He was a founding member of Camp Freddy, which is a rock band that has Dave Navarro, and he they played covers. What? They broke up in the early 2000s, but he was a founding member of Nancy Boy from the 90s, which is sort of like a throwback to the 70s glam look. So look up the video for Nancy Boy and then you'll your mind will be blown. Does he have that hair in Nancy Boy? No, it's different. And he's wearing a costume. <laughs> I'm so... I really want to, like, just stop what we're doing and watch it. But Should we? Nah. Okay. So when you look at the video, I was so confused because it looks authentically 70s. Like, it's on... It looks like it's a, you know, Top of the Pops kind of mm-hmm. thing. I didn't... I don't... I, I just was like, wait, what year is this? Was this the 70s? But it was the 90s. Wow. But they never got big in the U.S., so we never heard about him. Dang, this is all just bizarre. And he was also married to 90s supermodel Christy Hume. They've divorced, but she was like a hot a hot business for the 90s. I guess I gotta see him in anything else other than cutting class, because I don't get it. <laughs> I'm serious. I can't look past that hair. That is... <laughs> Is ugly person here. Okay, so we're at the school. We meet the school principal, who is played by none other than Roddy McDowell. I know, and I did not want to go into everybody's, like, history, but we kind of have to talk about Real him, quick. too. I mean, everybody knows him from Fright Night. I actually just watched this morning. I watched a Class of 1984 while mm-hmm. I was just hanging out, and he has a great role in that. You know what's crazy about him? <laughs> this is going to blow your mind. What? He's got, like... 200 and almost oh, 70 yeah. credits. You want to know, Get take a guess the year of his first acting credit. I want to guess early, like 1959. Okay, keep going down. 48. Keep going down. 36? How old is he? 1938 was what? his first acting credit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was as a fetus. He's the, he's the principal of You're this school. You're the pervert school. principal. And... Then we get to learn a little bit about our lead character, Paula. Uh, she's a real go-getter. She does all of the, the things at school. She's a cheerleader. She's an art model for art class in which she wears a black leotard and white socks, which was strange. <laughs> and we also learned that all of the teachers in the school are basically disgusting pervs. They just all want to have sex with her. Every single it's male so in gross. this movie wants to have sex with her. So gross. Now, let's skip ahead. She's selling tickets to a basketball game. I don't know how she has time to go to school. But <laughs> she's somehow she's doing it all. And as somewhere in the midst here, mix here, the art teacher's shoved into a kiln and killed. It's true. You know what, though? That scene has some pretty cool music, too. The, yeah. I, just, this film's got a lot of pluses that we'll talk about at the end. But yeah, that that kill scene was pretty cool already. And I would say, just to kind of set the tone, 
The kills in general in this film are really awesome kills. They are. And they're not instantly discovered either. Yeah. They just are like, it happens and we, the audience, gets to view it. I like that when you're not always caught in the main character's reactions to the drama. Mm -hmm. It's like you, you know more. Uh, It's sometimes a little refreshing because I feel like a lot of these slasher kind of movies, you just get people screaming and running, screaming and running. And of course you do get that in this film, but for a while it kind of, you know, there's something building below the surface that Paula does not know. So it kind of plays with that tension, you know, in in a way. I liked it. I thought already this first kill was really cool. Yeah. So Brad is, uh, he's, around he like after school he wants to go to her house to paula's house because he knows her dad's away yeah he because wants to they're go party well, they're teenagers yeah Why wouldn't you and paula is freaking perfect and yeah. is like no i'm gonna go do homework dad said and dude, brad is so unlikable like that character yeah <laughs> i just could not hang out in a room with that person Oof, no I, it would lose my beans well it looks like he's <laughs> struggling with some personal issues i guess he's so. got pressures but he he tries to go back inside when he realizes that Paula's not going to put out that night. And he tries to get his, I guess he left a book inside the school building, but the janitor refuses to let him in. Oh, yeah. The janitor is a shady character. Yeah. So the janitor's interesting. He's played by Robert Glaudini, who we know from Parasite. He plays Dr. Dean. Mm. Wavelength. He plays yeah, Dr. Wolf. Yeah, I know Wolf. Him from that. And The Alchemist, he plays Delgado. just got that coming in, in the trade. So we will have that. It's a lightning video release. I'm excited. I've been after that one. Yeah, he's actually real big in, in like, theater. You know what else he was in? What? Princess Diaries. What? Mm -hmm. What? (laughs) Let's do on that. (laughs) What is he in Princess Diaries? He's Lord, like, consulate something. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Okay. I'm sorry, my brain is like straight up scrambling know, through like all your, of Princess your Diaries. Your eyes like shot open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we watch Princess Diaries. So what? Yeah, at least once a year. So anyway, he is going through the school cleaning, and there's like a implication that he's like a Vietnam vet. But the coolest find, and I get credit for, is there's a rubber glove on a Ooh, yeah, on a janitor's cool. cart, and it's doing the double horns, which is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that was really cool. I didn't notice it. We had to rewind it a couple times for me to catch it. Paula's at home. She's doing her homework. Two of her friends and Brad show up. Yeah, they just kind of invite themselves over for a party. And they try to entice her out. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, there's a scene that happens right here where there's a knock at the door. Mm -hmm. I think before they even arrive. Yes. (laughs) And this begins the like legacy of Brian in this film. Whereas she gets a knock. She opens the door and Brian is creeping across the street. Like in a bush. Peeking behind a bush. Yeah. This will start the beginning of multiple scenes in this movie where he's just appearing and staring. He was in the art class too, remember? He oh, wasn't right. yeah, taking he was the creeping. art class. <laughs> Basically anywhere Paula is, he is somewhere creeping. It is really funny. Um, And so they come in, they try to get her to give keys to the office because remember, Paula is an overachiever. She's also the assistant to the vice principal. Yeah. That's how she has keys. Yeah. So they come to try and get it because they want to look up, I think, Brian's files. And a whole bunch is made out of his family ring because 
apparently Paula really wants it as a sign of his love and devotion because they're a couple. (laughs) I don't know. So she trades keys for ring. It's important later. And they all go and break into the school. Yes. And the janitor's there. He's like smoking pot or whatever and waxing the floors. But they're (laughs) running around kind of avoiding him. They look up Ryan's record and prove that he, you know, was mentally schizophrenic and all this kind of stuff you know and he had shock therapy and all this although this is another great scene this is my favorite scene this is my favorite scene too where they are reading his file and then it shows the water cooler one of them goes over to get a drink of water Mm -hmm. and his face is like bubbled behind because he has somehow managed to hide without being seen hide in the room watching them through the water cooler so we his we see his like elongated face behind the water cooler a couple things first (laughs) i thought it was a cool scene that like the head of the art teacher had maybe been put in the water cooler and it was gonna like bounce forward the second thing is the next shot of this it's like a water cooler or yeah so like the big upside down tank of water yeah where you just get a cup of water and it's up against the wall in a space where no human could fit behind it. It's like two inches. Not only that, when it when it pulls back, even if you were behind it, your shoulders and head wouldn't fit with it. Yeah. It was really funny. And this is the first case where I was like, is this meant to be funny? Yeah. Is this a comedy? I was confused. And we'll talk about that as this goes on. Is like... I feel like this doesn't know if it's a comedy or not. Uh, yes. Uh, but this was the first instance where I really started to question, are they trying to be funny? Uh, it's unclear. Well, okay, okay, that actually is a perfect time to bring up that we'll cut back and forth to multiple scenes of the dad who we had thought was maybe dead. He wasn't dead, shot with an arrow, but he's slowly coming to, and I'm just going to kind of run through it, like a school field trip misses him, actually people step on him, a uh, bloodhound runs up to him and steals his food. This was my favorite shot of that one is that like these bloodhounds are looking and he's trying to like talk to them. <laughs> and, uh, it He's trying to talk to the dog mm-hmm. and the scene made me laugh because this is the conversation. Get help. Help. Get help. 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 Do you understand English? And it was funny because he's clearly been like wounded and is out there looking for help. But yeah, so this is where we get this comedy relief in the film. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be kind of a spoof, I think, but it's not quite like student bodies kind of spoof. No, it just doesn't work. No, it's it's strange. Very jarring because when it's a horror, it's a horror. When it's a comedy, it's like, I thought we were watching a horror. Well, there are so many horror comedies that absolutely work but this is like you're watching two separate movies and they just intersplice them yeah it was very uncomfortable although brian being behind that water cooler being behind the bush being behind the mannequin like i like cutting class that's a really clever pun i probably would have called it uh brian's watching you (laughs) (laughs) creepy brian yes now we're at a basketball game the stakes are high because there's a scout there to check out Brad's moves and see his skills. Uh, the stakes are also high because a redheaded friend thought it would be hilarious to take off her underwear before cheerleading. Yes, and 
all of the pervert teachers are there for it and some younger guys too yeah so she's cheering and bending over a lot (laughs) it's pretty funny um brad is he's real stressed out about this game i kind of got the sense that maybe brad hasn't played a lot of basketball you would know you played basket you played a little b-ball back in your day i'm tall so i had to they wouldn't have they wouldn't have let me not play but um i thought brad doesn't play basketball but then in that weird interview from age 26 he was randomly holding a basketball the whole time and kept slapping it as he talked. He strikes me as a guy that walks around with some sort of sport equipment at all what? times. That sends a very powerful message. Yeah. What would you do if I just started carrying around a basketball and slapping it for emphasis when I spread like a football under my like just tucked under my arm as I walked to the grocery store? <sighs> Let's try it. I wonder if it would change the way people perceive us. I don't know. What about like a Viking helmet? I feel like we've already had this conversation once Tennis before. racket. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, Let's try it. Social experiment. Yeah. Well, this scene is really cool too. Talk yes. about uh, kill scenes. Another one. So the redhead with no underwear mm-hmm. gets pulled under the bleachers because she's totally fine with the boys looking up at her. But then she gets pulled under there and the killer is down there. Yeah. Well, she goes under to make out with her boyfriend. Yeah. But this kill is really cool because... She gets her throat slit, but it's timed perfectly with the buzzer going off at the last minute for like the finishing shot. So everybody's cheering as she's screaming, being like killed under the bleachers. Really cool. Like I thought that was a very cool scene. Absolutely. So again, their bodies aren't found, her and her boyfriend. Yeah. So nobody knows where they are. I would say one ball that they drop here is at a later point, Paul is like, they're missing. But there has been no conversation about these people missing. They just drop out of the storyline for a while. So it's a little weird. Um, The janitor's cleaning up afterwards, though, and he sees blood and popcorn. So the janitor knows something is amiss. Yeah, he also, like, flashed to the next scene where... Uh, Brad and Paula are walking across the gym floor and he loses his mind about them walking on the floor and starts to just flip out on them. Mm -hmm. But we do get probably my favorite line in the whole movie where he's yelling at them. And uh, this is what he has to say. There is a time to be real and a time for manners. I'm going to teach you to say please and thank you and how to survive and shit house I'm the only teacher that you'll remember I'm the custodian of your fucking destiny so he's an interesting character yes and he's also another like red herring uh, red herring kind of distracting us going is he the bad guy or is he just bearing witness and there's some nonsense. Uh, Brad and Brian have sort of like a fight with the teacher in class because Brian stands up for Brad, whatever. They get sent to the vice principal, mm-hmm. both of them, and they both end up getting suspended from school. Right. And the vice principal, her name is Mrs. Noct. Yeah, <laughs> which one of those actors, one of the teacher, the teacher that sends him clearly was uncomfortable with saying that name. It yes. was pretty funny. Well, it is a weird name. Like, 
They, it, it's yeah, it was grab, unnecessary. Grab bag of letters. Why let's, wasn't she Mrs. Smith? Let's talk about her scene, though. Because this, whoa, this is awesome. Do you want to know who she is? Oh, I do. Yeah, I didn't even think she was. It's so weird. I just never look up actors, mm-hmm. like, credits. I don't care, honestly. But You'll care about her. She's oh, yeah. from Howard the Duck. What? Yeah. You're breaking uh, my fingers. <laughs> her name is Nancy Fish. She's also from The Mask. She plays Mrs. Peeman. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I could do Howard the Duck all day. Uh, I don't if you like... can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Never a fan of Howard the Duck. Yeah, it's not very good, but for some reason I watched it a lot. <laughs> you did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, um, so her death is dude, her awesome. her death is so cool. This So she gets her head bashed into a Xerox machine, mm-hmm. and the Xerox copies are coming out of her face being smashed and bloody. It... This is seriously probably one of my favorite death scenes, like, in a movie, period. I, it's just so it's great. cool. Yeah. And it's, like, in a black room. Like, everything mm-hmm. is black, so it's on, like, a stage set, you can tell. But it's really cool the way it's lit, it's everything. flashing, and the music is so good here. Yeah. This isn't the Wall of Voodoo songs. This is the actual score. And it's so good. And it already has been, but this part in particular, especially right after this, when it's the guys in the... Uh, bathroom. The mm-hmm. score is still going. It's like this awesome synth score. It's so amazing that it leads me to this week's fun fact. What? I want to take a moment to talk about the composer, which okay. we I kind of held held close for this moment. Okay. The composer, which is rare, we do not get this, especially in horror films, was a female. Oh. Her name was Jill Frazier, and she was a badass. Yeah? She is a pioneer of early synth analog music, like electronic music. Cool. Like one of the first to really experiment with analog synths and stuff like that. So her backstory, it's just awesome. She was born in 1952. She got her degree from East Carolina University, composing electronic music already. Wow. And this is probably the late 60s to early 70s. So this is like really early in electronic music. Yeah. Not like just noises, but actually creating yeah. compositions. And then there, her professors were all so like blown away by her. And she was studying with all these really well-known composers. They all pushed her to go out to California and attend CalArts, which she did. So she went to Cal Arts and she studied under John Cage and then she got her MFA in 1978 and then started building actual synthesizers and stuff like that. She's so cool. And then became this like underground figure in the LA synth and electronic scene and did all these commercials and films and everything else and is still going like she's just a badass. And uh, so she's just this cool chick who like was there when it was all first starting. Wow, and I just, she still is composing? To my knowledge, she's still going. And um, I really liked this score. I like the soundtrack, but I really loved the score because it is. It's all this cool synth combined with like electronic guitars and stuff. But man, what a... And I don't think this was ever released on vinyl, like a soundtrack for this, which is a shame because I do think this is probably one of the biggest pluses of the film mm-hmm. is the music throughout is really good yeah so yeah. yeah there's there's this week's fun fact that's really interesting yeah i thought it was a cool i mean we just don't get to talk about female composers often 
definitely don't get to talk about early pioneers of synth music. Paula's at home now. We're going to kind of skip ahead. She finds her dad's recording. Remember, her dad's a district attorney. Yeah, the one that was shot. She finds a recording, and he's talking about the case with Brian. So her dad prosecuted Brian, we learn. And she goes to Brad, and they read off the transcripts. This is such a dumb scene. This is hardcore theater majoring. uh, Yeah, so they're on a stage reading it like lines. Yeah, they're doing like their Romeo and Juliet, but it's the court transcripts. This scene was so funny. We learn Brian cut the break lines, and he won't reveal which friend taught him to cut the break lines. And then we learn it was Brad. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Keep in mind that it's been cutting back and forth to these silly scenes of the dad still alive trying to, like, call for help. Very comic. Uh, But then we get things like this, this hair washing scene where Paula's at home alone in her room. And she's, like, washing her hair and getting ready. She's wearing only underwear and washing her hair in the weirdest way (laughs) ever. It's pretty weird. Like, the top of her underwear are soaked in a way that... (laughs) Nobody would do just because it would be so annoying. Why would you let your hair just drip down your underpants? I don't understand. But we get the scene of these hands in silhouette, like the shadow hands coming towards her. They're clearly very um, pleased with this shot because they really drag it on for a while. But then it is Brian and he's in her in her bathroom while she's topless in just underwear. And he's like, hi. And he's <laughs> such good, good Brian impression. Such a creep with his weird hair. I would have just straight stabbed him right there. Well, she grabs scissors and he's like, "Do it, just stab me," and she doesn't. Okay, she could it's have really saved tone. us some trouble. I know she could have. And scene. That's the end of the movie. This. It's just the tone gets so serious and weird, and I'm like, "But we were just seeing her dad, mm-hmm. like do 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 do, bumbling around in the swamps." I yeah. This this is where the film. It just really, it's its confusing. Yeah. And he convinces her because he has one of the printouts. He like hopped into the trash can where all of these evidence. He's omnipresent. All of these evidence photos from Mrs. Knox's murder are. He grabs one of the printouts <laughs> and it shows a hand with a ring. And the ring is Brad's family ring, which is the reason why they'd been drawing so much attention to that ring. So now suddenly Paula is convinced that Brad is the killer. Oh, I do like that the next morning she wakes up in her bed. Brian is just there staring at her. As she slept all night. And why would she be okay with that? Like, I'm going to go to bed now. You just sit there. It's so weird. And then I love that uh, Brad calls her that morning, but he's in a payphone. And he's drunk. It made me laugh that he had to, like, make a call from a payphone. I don't know. Just different times, man. People won't understand. Yes. And... Now everybody's at the school. It's, I think, a Saturday morning. Brad has to be there because he got in trouble with the P.E. teacher uh, for, like, mouthing off to the P.E. teacher about wearing his gym clothes. Oh, man, that was a really funny scene. It was. And the gym teacher, kind of a big deal. The Wait, what? You're going to credit the gym teacher, The too? P.E. teacher is played by Dirk Blocker. Don't even okay. just well, leave that name there. Name's problematic, but okay. He was in a buttload of movies, but most notably Prince of Darkness and Poltergeist. Really? He's got some big creds. But yeah, go look up his his whole list of, of his career and it's no small potatoes. Oh, well, hate to 
to let people in on a little secret, but our runner-up to this week's episode was uh, Prince of Darkness. Yeah, I, I was like, what? Yeah, so I kind of really want to immediately do it because I, yeah. I would have been happy to do either one. So we might do Prince of Darkness next week if we Maybe. don't do... Well, it's either Golden Child, Warlock, or Prince of Darkness. <laughs> so the angry PE teacher tells Brad to go like put on his clothes and he starts jumping on a trampoline, which, oh, you know, first of all, as a teenager, if your angry PE teacher started angry jumping on a trampoline, how could you do anything but sit there and laugh? So when we get to the trampoline scene, this is quite an iconic death. We've already talked about, I mean, I'm such a fan of all the deaths in this, but the trampoline scene, somebody, our killer, grabs a flag yeah. and a spiky post on the top of the flag yeah like the eagle point yeah and goes um underneath the trampoline and holds it up and we get a awesome death of uh, an impaling on the trampoline which for more modern horror fans will definitely recognize right away there was an homage to this scene directly in Eli Roth's uh, trailer for the fake film Thanksgiving that was part of the Grindhouse films and mm. Uh, it is pretty funny that he did a little reference to this because that scene in his trailer is with a cheerleader and she's jumping on the trampoline and then somebody holds up the knife underneath and everybody's like, Ugh. I remember watching that in the theater and people like screaming out yeah. loud. But yeah, no, this is definitely a reference to this scene. Interesting. I had some problems with this because this trampoline's in the middle of the gym. Out of your peripheral vision, jumping on a trampoline, don't you think you would notice somebody coming <laughs> with a with a flag on a flagpole? Also, there isn't enough space underneath this trampoline. It's like three feet up. I, so yeah, I did think about that, too. It's like an eight-foot angle. Pole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the angle itself is problematic, but we accept all of these things just I totally, because I, I totally accepted trampoline this. death scene. It was awesome. Now, uh, Paula and one of the teachers, who also happens to be there, a separate teacher, the math teacher, are being herded from room to room by music. Um, they think it's by Brad. Mm -hmm. Until they open a door. They have to solve some dumb riddle, but the teacher... It's a math problem, yeah, yes. The teacher opens the door and gets an axe to the head, and we get our big reveal, everybody. It's not take Brad. A, take a wild guess who it is. It turns out it's the actual psychopath that got out of an insane asylum after having shock therapy mm -hmm. and has been stalking everybody yep that's our killer so it's the guy that you thought <laughs> it was right the from the beginning absolute only suspect was our killer <gasps> there we go this is where i thought okay this is being funny this has got to be a spoof Mm -hmm. But it's just the tone doesn't set it up like it's a spoof. No, it sets it up like it's weird. an actual reveal and we're supposed to be surprised. It's so confusing, but he teacher does get an axe to the head, which is pretty cool. I will say that as I watched this since I was a first time watcher, I was like, surely it's not Brian. And then halfway through, I was like, maybe it is Brian. And they're trying to be funny. Yeah, it, that's what I asked the whole entire yeah. film. But he also does this huge rambling monologue here about killing in the past and the present and the future. Oh, and, oh man, it's really funny. It's a gem. He's changing the course of history with his killings and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I, you know, what I thought about was that scene previously in the bathroom when mm -hmm. she has the scissors and he's like, go ahead. Yeah. And I'm like, we could have avoided 
All of this. All of this. If she would have just stabbed him with the scissors right then and but there. But we would have missed so much. We, so much flagpole we would, You know what we would have missed? What? The very next scene, which is Brad Pitt to the rescue. Yep. Including a pretty sweet roundhouse kick to break open the door. Yeah. You were impressed. <laughs> Rewound and made me watch his roundhouse. I, well, you were taking notes. And I'm like, you just missed a roundhouse. Yeah. And then I rewound it. Yeah. No roundhouse shall go unseen. I mean, it's not a Swayze roundhouse, but... Oh. It, Heavens do the no. It was fine. It was a fine roundhouse. He broke the fake glass. Yeah. And they go to, they like take off running. They go to the science room and Brad's trying to show us he's a genius and he mixes water and sodium and then Brian chastises him for being late. Yeah. And is like, you would know that that's just a rock, not yeah. sodium. That is funny. But then Duh. we get this final hunt scene between the two of them battling it out in like the, the shop class. Yeah. With like tools and stuff. The score here also really kicks in pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, we haven't played a clip. You know what? Well, let's play a clip from the score Do just it. so people can hear it. It really, this is a great score. So yeah, this we, is happening while they're like power tool battling. And Brad ends up with his head in a vice. <laughs> oh, and then when she's trying to loosen the vice, he's... So they're like righty tighty lefty Lucy. Yeah, this is what happened. They've made many allusions to righty tighty lefty Lucy at this point. I do. So I I'm like glad it. that they, they brought it full circle. There's a scene earlier where Brad and Brian are under a car and Brian's working on his brakes. And he's like, I still remember what you taught me. Righty tighty lefty Lucy. And they start giggling. And I'm like, everybody already knows that. Yeah, that's, that's not, not like something special that Brad Pitt knew about. I taught that to our daughters by age two. <laughs> Just... Anybody who's turned on a hose with their mom taught them that. Anyway, the battle continues and we do get a final death. Um, so Yeah, Paula puts uh, Brian into a boob trance. And, oh, yeah, that's true. And hits him with a hammer. Yeah, it's pretty good. The hammer pr- to the head. Yeah. It's the hardcore, And actually. it's the back end of the hammer, too. Yeah. And the janitor comes in, and he's impressed. Yeah, he's very impressed. Impressed with the work. And then we get our final scene, which is uh, Brad and Paula cruising down the street, jamming. And um, they almost hit her father, who has finally made his way all the way home, but yep. they stop just in time. Yep. Freeze frame on her. Well, they also, they can't, they stop just in time because they couldn't stop. Oh, yeah. The brakes, the brakes had, been, had cut. been cut. And, Bra- and Brad has to, like, put it into park or something. Yeah. And that's what we get. Freeze frame, end of cutting class. I have one more little bit of information. What do you have? The police were called on Brad Pitt uh, during the filming of this because... He made obscene gestures, and I read a couple different things. So he either either exposed himself to some drivers, <laughs> or just flipped somebody off. But the police were called on uh, him, so I'm guessing it was probably exposing himself. We're taking a uh, poll. I'm going to go with exposing yourself. Well, who would call the police for being flipped off? Yeah, exactly. So I think he flashed his junk at some people <laughs> cool. while filming this, and the police were called. Way to go, Brad. Okay. All right. Well, that is uh, Cutting Class. First time watch for you. Yep. What are your thoughts? It was really fun. I mean, obviously, it's there's so many problems with it, but it doesn't matter because, I mean, that's why we watch these kind of movies, because we love those yeah. little errors. Yeah, I would agree. I, this is a super fun movie. It's very rewatchable. Yeah. You know, it's got a great score. 
acting solid. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody does a really good job. Um, it, it is funny, but yeah, I would say the pacing is just fine. The constant Brian just appearing, being omnipresent so funny. is so funny. And I do think that maybe that's intentional because by like the fourth time of him just appearing, yeah. we're like, we were both laughing out loud. That head in the cooler. With the hair, with the James Hurley hair. But so I, so I do good. like that. I do think it's a really, I it didn't quite hit the mark with knowing if it's a horror comedy. Right. Doesn't quite do that. But other than that, I don't care. Honestly, it's called cutting class. I mean, yeah. It's funny. I definitely think it's uh, Laser Graves recommended. Oh, yeah. And if you haven't seen it, you should. Um, if you have seen it and haven't seen it in a while, revisit it. It's really, it's a fun watch. Enjoy, Brian. Yeah. So that's what we got for you this week. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Like always, if you like our show, uh, please tell other people and rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars. That's super helpful. Thank you for um, those you, of you who have. Yeah. Thank you very much. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to lasergraves.com and catch up on all our back episodes. Um, If you want to follow us, we're on Instagram at lasergraves, and then we have personal sites there, too, that you can follow. I'm at death at 33 RPM. I'm at Mariah Rose Wimmer. And that is it for next week. We will see. We've got um, three films floating around that we're juggling. Mm -hmm. Let's see which one falls first. Who knows? Or something else. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye.